TMF teens just not feel the love? Well, maybe it's time to shift your focus to nurturing TMF culture. On this Valentine's Day episode of The State of TMF, host Oliver will be joined by special guest Anusha Ramashbabu from Moderna for a heart-to-heart all about TMF culture. They'll show you how to get stakeholder buy-in, keep non-TMFers engaged, and create TMF champions that'll pave the way to inspection readiness. The State of TMF podcast is officially in session. Let's get into it. All right, Anusha, should we get, get get right into it? Let's get into it. Awesome. Um, well, first of all, uh, thank you, Anusha, for joining us. Uh, we've got Anusha Ramesh Babu here from Moderna, who works within the, the TMF team. I'll allow you to introduce yourself uh, in a few seconds, Anusha. Uh, as a reminder, today we're going to talk about TMF culture. Uh, we've got lots of great um, uh, insights from from the work that Anusha has been doing within the Moderna team, but also in previous roles and organizations that she'd worked in uh, before. Uh, Anusha, welcome to the podcast. Thank you so much. I know that this is something that we talked about just before we went live with everyone that we've been trying to get on the books for a really long time now, I think a year or so. So I'm so happy that we're actually getting you on the show. Me too. I'm really glad to be here. I feel like we culture and education is a conversation that we can have for many, many months and years. And I still feel like we'll have enough left to talk about at the end of it. So I'm really glad to be here. Amazing. Thank you. And this is your first podcast, I think, right? Yes. Podcast ever. Yeah. Amazing news. Um, all right. Perfect. So uh, before we jump into the subject, I, I think it would be, I think everybody on the line would love to learn a little bit more about you, Anusha, your um, sort of uh, trajectory as a TMF professional. Um, so maybe sort of just give us a little bit of a, of a, of a rundown um, of, of where you kind of come from, the roles that you've had, the focuses that you've had across your career so far. Sure. So I started off my um, trajectory really into the pharma world through graduate school. So I have um, a master's degree in biomedical sciences from Northeastern University um, in Boston. So very close to all of the pharma hubs, hence the inspiration. Um, I started off my career sort of thinking that I wanted to be more on the research, hard science side, so in the labs, but quickly realized that that wasn't for me. (laughs) Um, And I, you know, at the time that I was sort of looking for roles and inspiration, I came across um, this role uh, where you were basically digitizing records. So I sort of started at the end of the TMF process, essentially, from where you put paper into digital, um, spent a lot of time in an archive with a lot of paper documents, scanning, um, and getting those in into an electronic system. So I sort of started there where I learned what a TMF was before I started in that job. I did not know what a TMF was. So that was sort of my introduction. And this was while I was still wrapping up my master's degree. So I did that for about six months. Um, And then um, within that same, during that same time, I also had an opportunity to um, expand my role, sort of going more into TMF. So the more I learned about the process, the reference model, and really got myself familiar with it, I stepped into the role of a TMF coordinator. So basically spent a lot of my time reviewing um, trial documents at that point. So what you what normally people call a QC reviewer or a document reviewer, that was really my main role. Um, I held these roles at Vertex before, so I was there for about a couple of years um, almost. 
Um, and then I hit a jackpot opportunity to move on to a TMF specialist role where I was managing studies directly. So that uh, was my three-year tenure at Alexion. Um, wonderful, wonderful time spent there. And that's really where I learned, um, you know, beyond a document-specific QC, what goes on in the TMF world. Um, that's the role that really gave me exposure to culture, what it means to work with functions, what it means to work with external stakeholders. So really, I gathered a lot of experience from being at that um, at that time point um, where I worked with multiple CROs, multiple functional areas, and really, um, really understood what it, it takes a village to, <laughs> to run the TMF um, and to make sure that we're prepared for inspections and so on. And then after my three-year time there, um, I moved on to another role at, which is the role I'm currently in. I'm a TMS manager at Moderna, um, where my role still is similar, where I'm managing study specifics, but it's, I think every role or company you go to has a different aspect of TMS management that you take on. Yeah. So currently what I'm focusing on is really working with internal and external stakeholders in just in different capacities and learning how to manage um, the content and sort of oversee the management of TMF content. Um, aside from that, what I like to call my side hustle is I also try to get involved with projects um, outside of study specifics. So um, things that I like to get involved in are sort of like PR for the TMF team. So outward facing things like a newsletter or, you know, things that really foster that culture, doing trainings. Um, that's the sort of thing that I, I also enjoy spending my time on. And you get, so that's you where get I talk. a ton of, that's amazing. <laughs> and you're getting a, t a ton of love in the chat here. Oh. Um, so thanks, thanks for sharing. Thanks for sharing that. And obviously working alongside um some friends of the podcast while working at alexion so david ives and steph Viscomi and some of those amazing tmf people as well and obviously yes. one thing you, you you mentioned sort of as a as a side hustle um or a side project let's say is that i've also seen and attended many presentations that you've put together at tmf conferences and things like that so if anyone's attending um some tmf events are you speaking at any tmf events this year anisha uh, the hope is that I will get to later this year. So it's still sort of um, in the works, but I'm hoping I'll still get to speak actually even more about TMF culture, risk-based TMF management and things like that, um, just based on my experiences in the future. So more to come. <laughs> super cool. Super cool. And I will be there in the seats watching. Um, now, before we jump into culture, one thing that we were chatting about before the show, which I thought was really interesting, was sort of, and this is, I think, something that re will resonate with a lot of people uh, on, on the line, a lot of people listening in, um, is around when someone asks you at a dinner party, at Thanksgiving, at a, you know, whatever it might be, like, what do you do? And everyone's had that dilemma, right? Um, how, how best do you describe what do you do when someone says, like, oh, Anusha, what, like, what do you do for a living? How do you describe well, it's it's interesting because I I every time somebody asks me that I'm not exactly sure how to how to say what I do to them because it's so specific yet so broad at the same time. Right. <laughs> so I sort of tailor my answer depending on who I'm speaking to. So it you know at the very larger level I sort of just start with oh I work in R and D um, in a pharma company. And then people get confused because my so my company is based in in Cambridge, but I work from California. 
Um, so they're like, how are you doing R&D when you're remote? You're working from home. So that's, that's sort of like where their questions come from. And then I start to explain, you know, the documentation process, this, that. And then I think I was, you know, as we were chatting earlier, I met somebody this weekend for the first time outside of a professional circle that actually knew what I was doing. And it really made me happy because they were a CTN. And I said, yeah, this is like what I do. And they explained what I did for the first time. So it was yeah. really nice to sort of switch roles and see that, oh, wow, like they're, you know, unless you go outside of this circle, I feel like it's very hard to explain exactly what you do. Um, and that's where that culture piece comes in, right? Because sometimes that's even hard to explain internally. Um, what does your TMF person do for you? Exactly. So that was that was there was my plug there because there's a connection <laughs> to what we're going to talk about today. And you're so you're so right. Like you meet somebody and then and then like instantly you start switching to talking in acronyms, right? Like because everyone yeah. understands what you're saying now. Um, and I had a similar experience where I went to visit some friends in, in Halifax, uh, Nova Scotia, and they had invited some friends over as well. And I had sat down and we were just you know, talking the same sort of situation. What do you do? What do you do? And then I had a conversation. I was like, oh, I work in clinical trials because that's sort of like, you know, the yeah. easiest way to describe it. It's my it's my version of your R&D. And then someone else was like, oh, I work in clinical trials, too. And then it, it ended up being like, long story short, that I, I was chatting with someone who was a CRA for a CRO and... <laughs> You know, they understood what I did and I understood what they did. And then again, yeah. we sort of slipped into acronyms and industry speak, which is, uh, which is nice. So maybe we've got to find a better way of explaining what we do to everybody yeah. inside, or, or maybe it's just fun to allow people to explore it for the first time. Um, awesome. All right, perfect. So let's, let's jump into the, to the meat of it. And if anybody has any stories of how they describe what they do, understanding we've got a whole bunch of amazing TMFers on the line today. Um, throw it down into uh, throw it down into the chat. We'd love to. We'd love to see. All right. So let's let's start about you know talking about TMF culture. Um, I, I want to kind of start by uh, defining what TMF culture is and understanding from you and Nusha what you think TMF culture is, and sort of then evolving a little bit into like why is like why is it important for us to think about TMF culture, right? Like we, we've you know we have HR professionals and other people that talk a lot about culture. Um, but why is culture important to us in a, in a TMF group? So let's start with sort of what TMF culture means for, for you and your show. So before I jump into it, I am required to say the views <laughs> and opinions expressed here are my own and do not represent those of Moderna. And now I can move on. <laughs> Amazing. Uh, so defining culture, I think before I came on today, I wanted to go and actually look up the definition of culture. Uh, so I did that quick Google search. And what I understand from, you know, what I looked up is that it's, it depends on your organization. It's sort of how you define the social norms, behaviors, knowledge, beliefs of your organization. Now, culture can be something that sort of exists on its own, or culture can be something that you bring about. Um, and I think what's important here in the TMF space, when we talk about culture is there may be pre-existing notions or cultures that several folks bring in from their experiences in the past at other companies or from their understanding. But then what we try to do to define culture for our organization as TMF folks is trying to bring together all of those ideas in a way that makes some sense for the organization and the way we work at the moment. So I would say that, you know, it's 
it's really critical for us to define what that means. And that basically means like, how are you going to approach um, everyone's understanding of TMF? How do you understand their understanding of TMF? And how do you grow it in a positive way that makes sense for everybody? So it's sort of, it's not, it really, it's something that's organic to the organization. It's, um, I would say, you know, uh, really it depends on you, depends on the TMF person that ultimately defines that culture. Right. And, and ultimately, you know, like you said, culture is organic and, and TMF culture is, is the same. It, it, it's, it's, um, it's a reflection of, uh, of, of the work that you've done and the people that you have internally. Right. Um, but just because it's organic doesn't mean that you can't influence it or cultivate exactly. it um, in, in a way that that, that benefits um, you know the people that work within the team, but also the business, right? Uh, which is ultimately sort of one of our biggest objectives is to make sure that you know we're serving the business correctly. So I think that's a that's a good starting point. Now, when we sat down before to sort of like talk about what we were going to talk about today, one of the things that we talked about a lot was sort of this challenge that all TMFers or most TMFers face, um, and you you alluded to it a little bit in your, in your sort of uh, overview of culture, is this sort of concept of having you know, your core sort of TMF or documentation management group that normally has a pretty good understanding of the value, the benefit of of some of the processes that you put in place and, and value of culture. But then it's the teams that are perhaps, you know, where TMF is in their full-time job, um, where we struggle, where, we are, where we're challenged to sort of engage those folks. Um, what are some of the strategies that you've thought about, implemented, um, or even plan to implement in the future that you think begins to contribute to helping engage those sort of non-TMF folks? So I'm thinking here like, you know, folks that are, you know, maybe in, in, in the biostatistician group or data management or other teams that perhaps have a TMF responsibility, but don't always understand that they, you know, what they need to do. Yeah. So I think there's there's two parts to this. I'm going to come at it from an angle where, you know, picturing sort of a, a scenario here um, where you're role playing a TMF person that comes on brand new into an organization. Um, doesn't matter what level, but you're just coming into the organization. You're given a set of studies and you're just said, manage the TMF, you know, just as simple as that. Um, first thing I would do is, try and figure out if from a culture perspective, if I'm approaching this is what do people know? You know, what do they already know? How aware are they of the, you know, of the TMS and of the processes surrounding it? You know, are they, do they know what their SOPs are? Um, are they up to date on plans and things like that? But even before getting to those documents and specifics, if my job there is really just focused on fostering a, a you know, a, growing botting tmf culture then the first focus would be what do they know i want to know what they know i want to know how comfortable they are with their system so that the way you start that is by talking to people and i think the best part the best way to approach that talking concept is really just being relatable um i think we were saying even in our introductions earlier and i saw some folks mentioned in the chat we use too many acronyms we use too many like terms that people don't understand um you need to like the way i understand it is the the more approachable you are in that situation where you don't make it seem complicated um the easier it is for you to get a read on what 
teams you are working with, you know, so um, as a strategy, something that I would use in my early stages of sort of, you know, setting up a TMF culture is already understanding the existing culture because you can go, you know, and talk circles and say, these are everything, all these things that you need to do to set yourself up for success. But if you're company doesn't understand or doesn't have some pre-existing knowledge of it, it's going to be pretty challenging to navigate through that. So that's where I would start. Um, I think beyond that is, you know, that relatability factor that I mentioned is even after you understand exactly where they are, um, you know, as you do go on and talk to folks and get an understanding, it's really making it more relatable and understanding to them. And that's the piece that is key to getting non-TMF folks engaged is that they're not too concerned with all of the specifics of what your role is to do. What they need to know is what their piece is in that big puzzle. So just like how we work with so many functions like data management, statistics, regulatory, medical writing, they do a lot of things. And ultimately what they do is they submit their content into the TMF and that's when we step in, right? So we need to be able to build that, bridge that gap, essentially, for where their items are ready for submission. And then what is that purpose that they serve when it comes to the TMS? And that's really what they're trying to understand. Sometimes I think it's easy since we spend so much time talking about TMS with other TMS folks, it's easy to get lost in the specifics, but really catering your um, your approach to the specific function that you're working with is what's key there yeah it's it's almost sort of like you know building uh building a brand around what tmf means internally for for your organization right and getting people behind that um and i, I think that the, the often where i see some teams uh falter or, or sort of wander astray is that they they overcomplicate things too soon mm -hmm. right and and it's not because they it's not because they want to overcomplicate things. It's just because what we do is complicated. And so it's easy to kind of get led astray there. And and then, you know, when you're talking to these other groups that, you know, maybe you don't, you know, feel the same way about the TMF or don't have the same level of understanding and you start talking, you know, about like completeness and quality and timeliness and, you know, this is where our, all of our rejection rates are and like all of these different things that perhaps are impacting the way that you work. Um, but, you know, it's it goes back to that sort of like what's in it for me as a as a... Mm -hmm as a statistician, as a data manager, like what's in it for me. And I think that's where it starts. It's, it's sort of surfacing, you know, what's in it for them? Why is it important for them to do that? What impact does it have on, on, on their role, their team, the work that they do, right? I, I want to believe, I like to believe that everybody that's working on these projects cares about what they do. If you can expose the connection to, 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 to the success of what they're working on, um, you know, TMF is just one piece of everything that we do. Sometimes as TMF, as we think it's the center of the universe, um, but it's not. <laughs> um, and if we try and go at it, like TMF is the center of the universe, then we're just going to compete with other people that think that their role is the center of the universe. Mm -hmm. And so we've got to try and think about how to do it in the right way. I think that's, um, that's what I see. Um, so I think that talks, that, that kind of leads us into something that I think is quite interesting, which is, um, what we're always striving for as a TMF group, but also as an organization is inspection readiness. Um, one of the things that we talked about was how culture can impact TMF uh, inspection readiness downstream um, and some of the good things that you can do to prepare upfront um, and how they have a downstream impact. I'd love to hear 
your thoughts on that as a concept, but also if you have some examples of mm-hmm. um, yeah, maybe how you've seen that downstream impact come to light, you know, through some of the work that you've done with teams upstream. Absolutely. I I used to say this to some of my, I think, former teams and colleagues that, uh, or people may have heard me say this before, is that like TMF um, inspection readiness is not a destination, it's a journey. So it's sort of something you're always, always doing. You always have to continue and it's it doesn't end. <laughs> um, yeah. It's something that, um, you know, as TMF team members that we all like, that's instilled in us. It's, you know, we're ready for that. It's a constant state of preparedness for the, that activity. And, you know, it's not just about you being prepared. Um, your success as a TMF person or a TMF team depends on the success of your functional areas and their knowledge of the TMS. And um, that really comes from how strong of an education or training program you have within your company to set people up. So that could be as simple as system navigation. You know, when an inspector's in the room, they're not going to always ask the TMF, depending on who it is, they're not always going to ask the TMF person to go pull up documents. They could very well just pull the SME for the actual um, functional area and say, go navigate and show me where things are. Um, in that way, some things that help is setting up training sessions or, you know, uh, lunch and learns, things like that. Um, those are all things that I like to do as well as just, you know, spending more time one-on-one with folks or in groups, just educating them on basic system navigation pieces. You know, that's the sort of thing that that's where it gets tailored to what they need to do. It goes back to where we were saying, you know, great, yet TMF, there's this wonderful thing that you all keep telling me about. So what is it that I need to do and what piece do I need to continue uh, here in this space? So that that sort of inspection readiness and preparedness can come from that. And it's also the idea that we have to not only understand ourselves, but also make sure that everyone else understands that it's not something that we can leave to the very last minute and scramble. Um, right. And I know usually it's the TMF person that's always the one that's sharing that. But again, that goes back to how strong you are, you know, instilling that culture within your team and within your organization that um, be prepared always, you know, t- looking at t- things like timeliness on a regular basis, you know, using your dashboards and metrics to, you know, show everyone the transparency, you know, of how things really are. Because when it comes time for that inspection, if if they are not aware of what's going on, everybody needs to be able to say the same exact story, which is the story of the trial. And we can't have one function not knowing what's going on and another having to answer for that. So it's really transparency, communication, all of those things going together um, in that inspection um, space. I think when you said, you know, for an example um, of like how this works downstream is, you know, picturing scenarios, again, like I said, where SMEs are pulled into the room and asked questions about the content um, of where things are, but also picturing scenarios where maybe, you know, um, having enough. One thing I always like to add to every, every situation is always have backups prepared, you know, in case main folks are not around to answer to those questions. So that educational piece there is for everybody. So including you or whoever is doing your TMF document submissions. I know there are many different models that we work with within different companies. And some of those include 
oh, I create this document, but I send it to this person and they file it for me. Well, you're going to be asked the question regardless of who's filing it for you because you are the functional lead in SME on that study. So I think it's, you know, a clear definition of expectation and clear definition of, you know, what people need to, uh, what people need to understand and, you know, what they need to know about their TMF that should come right at the beginning before they sort of dive into going to those inspections and being in front of those inspectors. So, and that's on us, right. As a, as a, you know, culture enforcing part of the organization, we bring that to the table and our enthusiasm about it is what reflects on the team. Yeah. No, I think that's really important. And, 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 you know, one of the, again, one of the things that, that we see often is, you know, some of those functional leaders that may get called on, or even if they're sending it to somebody else to file, which if that's the way you, you know, if that's the most efficient way for your organization to work, fair enough. Um, but just make sure those people are prepared, you know, should an inspection occur that they're, they're ready and they're, you know, they're available to be called on and they could adequately answer questions. Right. Mm-hmm. Um, a lot of those issues come from when those functional leaders who, who may be amazing in their own right, in their own role. Um, don't prioritize uh, uh, TMF. There's a trickle down impact, right? And that's that. That essentially is culture. Um, um, it, you know, and 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 so, we, do you typically recommend or or where you start um, is with those functional leaders because the te- the teams that work within those or for those functional leaders also have a responsibility. Do you typically go sort of top down and say, okay, like I want to get, I want to rally these folks first, or is it a bottom up approach? Or is it a bit of both? Like, what do you think is the best way for, for teams to approach this? I would say it's it's a little bit of both. And it depends on, like, the, the way you've set up your team and how much attention they're able to give um, each of the study teams. I think I said this when we were preparing for the sessions. What's the number one thing that every TMF team wants? More resources, right? So it depends on how you're structuring that um, and how you're trying to get um, the people in the room to understand what you're saying and how you're able to do that in an efficient way. So if your organization's understanding or their existing culture is that they already get the basics, they just need someone to, you know, like take them through the finish line, then you can do it sort of as a, you know, what I call like a group activities, like a combined training session, sort of open Q&A where people can ask, okay, I have this, this, and this. And you spend me, and you spend some more time showing me these things, and you know, navigation stuff like that. If they're at a point where I have no idea what's going on, someone else has been doing this for me this whole time. I need like 100% handholding help from the beginning. Then that's okay too, because you know, every organization is set up differently, and the way we work efficiently with them first, like I said before, is understanding how they work, and everybody has those different learning styles. So. Um, you know, asking them, okay, so where would you like me to start? The last thing we want to do is sort of, you know, be in that space where we're over explaining everything or we're under explaining things. So getting that sort of like, let's read the room, see how everyone is feeling and then go from there. Um, So, you know, you could take any of those approaches, but really first understand where your team is. And their comfort level, you know, if you have to assess it on like a scale of one to 10, let's see like then what approach we need to take um, to help you guys feel ready. Um, You know, I've been in scenarios, both scenarios where, you know, we've had, you know, everyone 
everyone that I know is fully prepared and they know exactly what to do, or there are some folks who feel comfortable more approaching you individually and saying, hey, I need some one-on-one time. And I think that's where also, you know, your time management comes in as well as like how you're able to support. Or if you're getting that request from multiple people, maybe it's time to throw on a training session and walk through just like, you know, TMF 101, the basics, like log in here, go look there. This is how you navigate. This is your study. That type of thing. Right. So, you know, obviously from, from, from how you've sort of broken this down, training, knowledge, education plays a huge role in culture, um, and building the right culture because people need to understand what they're doing, why they're doing it. Um, how, how do you, how do you then take that beyond education? Right. It's fine that somebody knows how to do something, um, but getting them to, to do it um, mm-hmm. and understand and, and realize the value of them doing it. You know, we touched on it a little bit already, but I want to kind of go back to that point of what are some of the strategies that you've used in the past to sort of to highlight the reasoning for doing some of the things that you're asking these teams to do, right? Or, or the, the benefit or the value, like what are you doing in those cases? And maybe what are some of the tips or, or practical steps that folks that are listening today could take away and say, okay, I'm going to try this. I mean, this is going to help me get those folks yeah. on my side. Absolutely. I um, I always say that the, you know, the role of a TMF person is really something that's sort of like a, a customer service role where you you have uh, multiple stakeholders that come to you with questions and you know you're providing those tailored responses to them depending on what they're asking. But I think the the one thing that sort of goes back to saying, oh this is exactly what I need to do that. And like the impact that it'll have showing them that this isn't something that's sort of just one and done. And it's not going to, you know, you know, simplifying this task is important, but also getting them to understand the grander concept of, you know, why we do what we do, you know, whether that ties back to um, your procedures or whether that ties back to company goals and expectations, you know, whatever that may be, I think it's important to, um, you know, Get specific about exactly what it is that they need to do, but don't forget to tie it all back to the fact that we're doing this for a larger reason, which is that as a company, we're trying to put forward, you know, these medicines that we want to help people, right? So that's something that we need to continue to focus on is that there is a bigger picture there um, that maybe sometimes we get lost in the details and we're like, oh, this just seems so you know, why are we doing this every day? Why do I have to keep adding these things in? Because when you ask those questions, like why, I think it needs to tie back to the bigger picture of like, well, this is, this is why, this is what's helping us get there. Um, And showing to them and, you know, restating that this is the inspectable part of our trial. We need to be able to tell the whole story. We need to be able to say how exactly we did it. And it's not just about like, you know, adding documents in there and calling it a day. It's about like showing a record of how we followed our procedures and we followed them, you know, in accordance with those guidelines that were set forth by GCP, GDP, all of those things and making sure that we're showing, you know, we're following that. So I think explaining these types of things without focusing too much on the TMF of it all, but really focusing on the larger picture to say, here's why. And I think that's what, you know, grounds people back to that fact that we are doing this for a larger goal and we're all on the same team. You know, nobody is against each other. No one is trying to, you know, like 
say, oh, this is not me. This is you, but this is everyone. It's for all. So that's what's key there. Yeah. No, absolutely. Like, I think tying it back to that sort of bigger picture business goal or objective. And then of course, highlighting, you know, the, the, the sort of downstream impact of the work that they, that they do, uh, whether they do it or don't do it, what the, that the impact is. I think, you know, the, one of the other things that, that we see a lot uh, also and, and that we encourage with, with the customers that we work with is also make them a part of your process, right? Make them a part of the, the solution. Um, people, you mentioned being grounded, right? People feel much more grounded, connected to the mission when they feel a part of it, right? And so rather than trying to enforce um, uh, a way of working on a specific team, solicit feedback. Try and understand how they work and how you could maybe ad adapt or adjust the way that you work with that group from a TMF perspective um, to be able to make it work for them to still achieve the goal that you're all shooting for, um, but but in a way that makes more sense um, for them. You know, so that's that's definitely one thing. And the other thing that we've seen, and I, and I don't know, Anusha, if this is something that you've looked at as well, and some of the the, the teams that you've worked in is um, building dashboards and and providing visibility and insight into the um the work that their teams are doing highlighting maybe areas for improvement but also celebrating wins and successes right so if you do have a data management group that's phenomenal at submitting the documentation that they're required to be submitting or we'll highlight that celebrate that um yeah. you know publicly as a, as a group because then it shows to okay other groups you know uh that that there are teams that are doing the things that, that they should be doing uh, but it also makes the teams that are following the process that much more uh, engaged absolutely I think the more um, fun you can put into too much fun, the better it will be <laughs> for for everybody. It's it, in in its essence, it's really that encouragement. Also, right? It's also setting forward a culture that you are bringing to the table. Since you know all your attitude around how you approach your team's culture is what reflects on everybody else and how comfortable they are. So, celebrating successes is a huge part of that, you know, whether your company allows that sort of official recognition, or if you want to, you know, um, put them on a newsletter that you're sharing and say, Hey, this team did an amazing job this month of like submitting their documents and really, you know, honing in their resources to, to, to help with inspection and readiness. That that's the type of thing. And I think showing those measures of success, like you said, the dashboard transparency part, I am a huge, huge pro for that because I would say, um, you know, not only is it important for you to know what your dashboards look like for your study, it's important for everybody to know. So everybody needs to know how to get it in there, how to access things, or if they can't necessarily do that, if your security's permissions perhaps in your system don't allow that for some reason, then share the data, you know, like share what's really going on, however you choose to do that, you know, in study team meetings, you know, make sure your voice is heard. That's one thing that I always say to anyone that works with me is that um, we need a space in that larger group because, you know, that is where we can show like what the current state of that study looks like and the health of it and have active conversations about it because nobody should be worried about it um, and only think about it at the very end. It's something that we need to keep thinking about every day, you know, as many times as we can um, for their roles. I love how for those that are attending live, there is a a lot of back and forth going off in the chat here. Mm -hmm. uh, so a lot of really good engagement. There's there's a debate happening around whether the TMF should be called a repository or not. There's lots of fun <laughs> stuff. If you're not in the chat, go there. It's fun. Um, all right. A couple more things to focus on before we wrap up today. One thing I want to talk about um, 
that we haven't touched on necessarily as much yet is sort of the pillars of our culture. Um, and we often talk about creating champions. So I want to talk about champions as a whole and sort of like how to identify, how to cultivate, um, and then the ultimate impact of, of, of building champions. Um, and then uh, connected to that, the hiring. Uh, when you're hiring within your teams, how does that impact culture? So we'll start with champions. Talk to me about how you view champions uh, within your group. And is it just within the TMF team or are you looking for TMF champions outside of the TMF team? I think the um, greatest success that um, anyone can achieve is trying to get folks in all departments to have a functional SME that's just specialized in TMF. Um, whether it means they're the ones that are submitting all the content for that function or they are the knowledge holders or, you know, they are sort of like the go-between between I understand all things clinical supplies and I know everything that goes into the TMF. So I am the sort of hybrid um, SME role. Um, it's really good when we can find folks like that who have that knowledge and understanding and we're able to identify that and also encourage them to continue to pursue that. I've been very lucky in my career to have worked with so many functions and some, you know, some of those functions have had those types of subject matter, um, you know, sort of what I would call, they're not experts, but they're even beyond that because of their, just from their understanding of both worlds, um, the TMF world and also their own specific functional teams world. Because as a TMF person, sometimes if you're very specialized in TMF, like, like my role has been throughout my career, a lot of my focus has always just been in the TMF space. So some pieces from other functional areas may not necessarily fit into my mind the same way it would for somebody else. So that's where we really leverage those kinds of, um, you know, uh, champions from each of the functions that we want to provide that space. Um, I think collecting your champions is important. It's sort of like, you know, Pokemon. <laughs> got to catch them all so you get all of your uh you know functional uh champions together and what's really key to you know set that precedent of like what your culture will look like is having a governance structure that is comprised of those champions and it could also be comprised of leadership that represents um you know each of those functional areas so um, it may be that you have a champion but the functional you know area lead is not the champion for that or you know vice versa so really trying to get them together, sort of having a core committee that you could share your learnings with um, and you can share your experiences with and get that buy-in from them that they will be the voice for your team in their specific part of the organization. That's really key. So I think for any really, you know, from a starting point for any organization, that's really key to have is that governance and structure and like a collection of champions so that the decisions you're making are not sort of getting lost in space. They're being, you know, trickled down from that organization and they can come to you also. It's sort of that reporting structure, right? Where if functional areas are experiencing challenges in a particular way, they can take that and go to their champion and say, hey, I'm having this issue. Do you have a solution or can you maybe, you know, put it into essentially um, the group of other TMF uh, champions and ask how they've dealt with this. And that's, you know, that's where you're encouraging a communicative culture where you're getting them to talk to each other instead of only talking to their TMF person about this. Um, and they need to build that sort of trust that they can 
go to one another and then, you know, bring that to the table to discuss with everybody so that we're not making decisions in silos. Amazing. Now, when we, when we think about, so what I'm getting from that is advocates uh, and champions. That's very, very important. Now, when we think about culture being sort of uh, this sort of organic, sometimes delicate um, uh, balance that you have to play to, to, to sort of ultimately get towards the, the objective that you have, um, one thing that can throw a uh, swing the balance or, or off put the balance is bringing new people into the team, whether that be within the CMF team itself or when new folks join other functional groups, which maybe you have less control over. Um, what are some of the impacts that you've seen on on hiring and how important it is to think about TMF culture when you're hiring? Um, because I think, you know, well, I'll preface this with one of the things that I find is that, you know, there's the sort of the old school way of thinking about TMF and then there's the new school way of thinking about TMF, right? And obviously we're all proponents of the new school way of thinking, otherwise we wouldn't be on a session like this. But of course there are some folks that are maybe more traditional in their view of TMF and do think of it much more of as a, rep a repository or something that needs to get done just at the end of the study. Um, those things can have an impact on culture. So how do you hire for that? How do you advise others on how to hire for that? And, and what sort of impacts have you seen in the past? So I've been very lucky in, the, in my um, time in the TMF world to have hired, done hiring, and also be a people manager previously. So I have some of this experience, uh, but also from my mentors and to, you know, to look for the kinds of things that they look for when they're hiring. And I think the biggest, most important thing um, that I can think of is sort of a, what I like to call like, do they give you the right vibe about how they're going to approach different functional areas or how they're going to be as a person on your team? So it's not just about whether they fit, you know, for the role, but are they a fit for your company and are they a fit for your team? Um, and what's important there is the kind of personality that they bring to the table is what's going to reflect on the entire um, team as well. Since they are a representative, even if they're assigned specific studies or a specific role within that team, um, they're really speaking to what it's going to be like for everybody else. So if you are sharing, you know, positive views, positive thinking, you're sort of encouraging people. You know, it's okay to make mistakes. There's no silly questions. You know, we ask those things and we share that belief. That's how people, um, you know, feel comfortable. And that's the thing is that that person that you're bringing on in terms of hiring needs to have that kind of comfortable personality where you can just have a conversation with them, you know, and get to figure things out. Um, what I've seen not work is, you know, having that level of, uh, maybe if, if they're, regardless of their knowledge of the subject, it's more, um, are they patient to, you know, answer questions? That's one thing that I feel comes, that we deal with a lot is in this sort of, you know, customer service role that I um, explained before, people with varying levels of knowledge will come to you with questions. And sometimes all they want is a listening ear. Maybe that day the system is just not doing what it wants to do, what they want it to do, and they're frustrated, and that's understandable. Um, you may already know the answer, but how are you going to approach your, you know, the person that's coming to you and say, this is exactly what you need to do? So what I like to think of is like picturing those scenarios where you're in a tough situation, somebody's frustrated, and they just want to be heard. 
um, listen to them, you know, listen to what they have to say and then offer, you know, supporting, uh, supporting, you know, evidence or, you know, offer supporting, uh, supporting persona essentially to say that I'm here, you know, we can go through this and show them different ways on how they can do things or maybe tailor it. Again, this is, this goes back to that learning piece where everybody's a different type of learner. So how you tailor your training or how you tailor your folks for the organization, bring in that type of personality that will meld sort of easily. Somebody that's willing to work with the, um, sort of with the flow rather than against it. Um, and, you know, see to that they're, you know, see to that they feel that level of comfort when they're dealing with their TMF person, because ultimately how your TMF person is, is going to reflect on how your team feels about the TMF. <laughs> I love that. So, so when you're looking at, at like sort of, uh, folks from a sort of, uh, a hiring perspective for the team, red flags here are, you know, a sort of a lack of patience, um, you know, don't you know, don't really view the TMF as sort of this sort of constant, a continuous story that's being built, built more of a, an afterthought. And I guess that sort of tailors some of the questions that you might ask in interviews or discussions that you have to sort of see if you're, you're finding the right, the right type of individual. And then I guess conversely, what you're saying is, you know, some of the, the green flags, the things that you're looking for are, you know, people that are understanding people that, um, have the right viewpoint on what the TMF is and the value that it has. Um, but also that are are willing to help, want to help, want to be advocates for for their area. Uh, those are the sort yeah. of some of the things that you're looking for. And one thing I will say, just to add to the that piece, is um, somebody not having inspection experience shouldn't be held against them for like the beginning parts of their role. And I will be the first to say that because I came in with no inspection experience. And I think a lot of beginner TMF roles do have that expectation that they should have, you know, inspection readiness experience already coming into it. Well, that's kind of like saying have 10 years of experience in the workforce before you're born. Um, and that's hard, right? Like when you think about it, you know, if somebody has, you also need to be prepared an organization to educate the people that success for them. And that culture doesn't just apply to all of the functions, right? It's a culture that you apply to your own team as well. So be ready and sort of, you know, willing to accept that maybe people's understanding levels will be different. But, you know, if that's a gap, you genuinely think that that person has a good understanding of everything else that you're looking for, don't hold that one thing against them. Because if anything, this is something that can be taught and learned from experience. Um, personally, over the last like few years, you know, I sort of grew up in TMF not having that experience. And then in the last few years, that skyrocketed for me, you know, gaining a lot more of that experience. It can happen at any time. So definitely keep that in mind when you're bringing people in that, that something like that shouldn't be held against them fully. Um, but again, you know, be your own, make your own judgment on that. And, the, and ultimately there is, there's value that folks can bring that even if they don't have inspection experience, right? Exactly. So yet you, you often, this is more broad than, than, than TMF, but you know, hire for potential is, is also something to, to consider too. And like, you know, if you see something in someone uh, just because they don't have experience, doesn't mean they can't gain it, you know, perhaps faster mm -hmm. or, or be more adept than, than someone else. Um, true to form, I knew that we would get really close to time here. So I'm, I'm happy that mm -hmm. uh, we had lots to talk about and the chat's been very, very active, which means what we've been talking about has um, been interesting. 
The last thing I want to talk about, because this you touched on it right at the beginning, where you talked about your current role at Moderna, um, which was sort of playing a much more um, external role, um, as well as working uh, with partners like CROs. Talk to me a little bit about how how do you bleed culture, your TMF culture as a sponsor, into the CRO? And, and, and for those that are maybe working at CROs that are on the line or listening today, what can they do? Um, to sort of create a, a tighter relationship between their sponsor and their CRO uh, in that regard. Absolutely. I think any any TMF person would agree with me that when you're working with external partners, it's it's harder to establish that sort of internally um, internalized culture that you already have within your company because, you know, ultimately it depends on how good you are at communicating priorities and expectations whether that's putting things into an official document to say this is the plan that we will follow for this study this is exactly you know how we will be measuring these markers and this is what we need to do whether it's that or whether it's you know just having an open conversation to say like this is how we're approaching it in our organization and you know as part of the team we would like you to be on that as well um, don't treat them like the outsider. I think that's where sometimes it gets challenging where we're like, we're so focused on building a culture and development internally that we often forget that there's larger external stakeholders as well that contribute that content to our TMF. They need to feel involved and included and they need to feel that same sense of support that you're giving, um, you know, within the limits that you're allowed to, of course, but provide that same support to them, be there, be available, and, you know, make sure you set those expectations in advance. Um, so I, I see that, you know, oftentimes it's like, oh, the CRO is responsible for doing that, not me, um, just because that's something that's given to them as part of their role on the study. Um, maybe changing the approach and attitude of how we think of that should be more as, oh, they are responsible for that, but I will oversee, like, what they're doing, you know, because it is ultimately... Every day, all day, we see the same thing. Sponsors' ultimate responsibility is the TMF. You know, we are, we hold it. We we have to answer to it, no matter who is involved and who's got their hands in there. It's our trials, right? So I think, that, and as a TMF person, even if you are on the CRO side as a TMF person, um, you know, if you're, I I used to be um, not on the CRO side, but I used to be sort of in like a. Um, an external internal type role where uh, there wasn't, you know, sometimes there's transparency, sometimes there isn't, but the key there was what I learned very quickly is how communicative I am as well. So don't feel shy to approach them with those questions just because you're like, oh, I'm just like one person in this, you know, massive study or trial that, you know, I don't have a lot to do with, but don't, don't feel that way. Cause the question that you're asking Maybe somebody else wanted to know the answer to, and they were too shy to ask. So I've always been told I'm that person that asks all those questions. <laughs> so I think that goes with nothing wrong with that. Is. Um, but yeah, so I think it's really be transparent, um, be engaged with them, and you know, know that how you put your foot forward in that situation is how they will follow along as well. Um, I, I I love that, and I think. We talked about this beforehand, but one of the things that, that's important when we think about CROs and our TMF culture, and it kind of is similar to the hiring aspect, is finding the right CRO that you feel mirrors or can and perhaps even augment the TMF culture that you have, right? There may be CROs that you work with that look at the TMF in a different way to you, um, 
and that, that might not align with what you want. Um, and so, you know, f trying to find a CRO that perhaps thinks the same way as you do about TMF, the head team uh, culture around TMF is either where you are at or where you want to be as a sponsor TMF team or as a sponsor clinical team. I think those are the things that, that uh, are really, really important. And for the CROs on the line, you know, this is only going to become more and more important. Um, and perhaps maybe you'll see, you know, more mention of this in, in you know, bid defenses and presentations from CROs where they're talking about their TMF culture and how they look at things from that perspective, um, because I, I feel it should be more important than it perhaps is today. We have lots of questions, so we're not going to get to them all. Um, there's a really good one that just came in that I think is a, a good one to ask from Michelle. Thank you, Michelle. How do you best instill accountability without it, it appearing punitive? How best to get the buy-in from, I'm assuming she's talking about sort of the folks that are in a non-TMF role. Yeah. So the one thing you want to remember is you don't want to be that TMF person that everybody runs away from in the elevator. <laughs> That's what I both start with saying. Um, and instilling that accountability really, again, comes from the way you approach, you know, their understanding of the situation and your understanding of the situation. So if you go to somebody and say, you filed all of these wrong, you did everything wrong, and it's it's going to almost sound, it's, it is like you're blaming them for everything that's wrong with the TMF and we don't want that. Um, so taking that approach of first understanding where they're coming from, how can you support them? Um, you know, are there other functional areas that maybe are experiencing those same issues? And, you know, sharing that the accountability is really about the bigger picture. It's not about trying to get people in trouble for not doing what they're doing. You need to have those ground rules and expectations saying like, you know, this is, these are like the baselines and, you know, sort of measures that we expect everybody to follow. But knowing that it's something that's contributing to much larger than just that, you know, it's not just about like meeting those targets. It's again, reminding them about the bigger picture and maybe even going back to, hey, why did you join your company? Or like, why did you take up this role? It's exactly for this purpose, right? So in all of that, this is part of that puzzle. This is part of that larger picture where you are contributing, not just for, you know, this this level of like, oh, I just need to check off the boxes, but it's much larger than that. So to make it not seem, I think the word we say that word is punitive. So the, to make it not seem that way, um, really just like make them feel confident that they can do this, you know, and that, you know, you're there to support them rather than to say, I'm here to like reprimand you if you do something wrong. Amazing. I love that. Um, last, the last uh, thing that we'll bring out here. So David says, wondering if Anusha has thoughts on why she is so awesome. I don't know if you have any thoughts on that, Anusha. <laughs> I certainly, I certainly do. Um, but but I will end there because I think that's a really nice way to end. Uh, we've spoke for uh, fifty six minutes. It didn't feel that way for me. I'm, I hope it didn't no. feel that way for you either. Um, and 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 hopefully everybody on the line really enjoyed today's session. Um, this was a super fun conversation. It's something that I'm super interested as, as, in as an individual. Um, and I know there's something that we have talked about um, uh, ad nauseum at conferences and whenever we've met. So I'm so happy that we got a chance to uh, talk about this in front of a bunch of people, <laughs> um, which is really, really fun. So thank you so, so much for joining us. And hopefully we can get you on again to talk about all the other things that we didn't get to talk about today. Because I think you have so much more um, to, to share about your experiences and also just how you look at TMF. So thank you. Thank you. Thank you. 
Um, we have another session coming up in about a month's time. It will be our one year anniversary. So expect some candles and maybe a cake or two. Um, and we'll be releasing some uh, information on what that episode will be covering uh, in the coming days. Uh, lots more great stuff coming from Montreal. So if you're ever interested in learning more about um, what we do, or if you want to continue to engage in some of the great content, the best place to do that is to head over to our LinkedIn profile. So head over to LinkedIn, type in Montreal, and you'll be subscribed to all the great things that we do. Anusha, thank you so much again. And for everybody else on the line, we'll see you soon. Thank you. Thank you for tuning in to another episode of The State of TMF. If you liked today's episode, hit the subscribe button, view the full episode with a video on YouTube, and follow us on LinkedIn, Instagram, and Facebook to see the sometimes entertaining and always resourceful content that we post every single day. See you in March for episode 6. Bye.